While they're heading out, I'll just review with you. We have been, well, first of all, thank you, worship team. We'll just say thank you. So appreciate the work and the time that they put in throughout the week to prepare and, and put songs together. And as you were singing those songs, you might not even realize how much you are internalizing and how much you are speaking truth into your life and into your heart. And so the worship team spends a great deal of time figuring that out. And also to help that flow right into what we're going to be talking about, which is indeed what uh, they have done for us today. They have set us up well to continue our worship. This is a, another angle on worship. Uh, it's called a message or a sermon in some churches. Um, it's sharing from the word of God um, what's on my heart for you and for us as a church. Um, this series has been being pulled together for quite a while now, and uh, we call it Life Together. Uh, it's based a little bit, in part, upon a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. Um, but we are working our way through the understanding of what it means to be a true, authentic Christian community. What makes that unique? What distinguishes us as a Christian community? And we've talked about the fact that it's not just things that unite us, things that we like about each other, things that we have in common out in the world, the distinguishing factor and the differentiating factor, in fact, the uniting piece of life together in the church is Jesus Christ and the impact that he has had, the difference that he has made in my life and in your life and the love that he has for each of us. That's what brings us together. That's why we gather, that's why we sing, that's why we pray. There's so much that we have already covered. I invite you to go back online, you can listen to some of those messages. And next week, starting the week of February 2nd, some small groups are going to be kicking off where you can actually get together with a smaller group of people and talk about this. And we're going to be reading this book by Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And it's particularly salient in our world today. It's important in our world because of all the animosity that's out there and all the distrust and the awkwardness and the relationships and how people are just struggling to find ways to bridge the gap. But in the church, it's Jesus Christ that becomes that bridge for each and every one of us. So that's what we've been working through. And today I'm shifting gears into a message I'm calling what compels our community. We've looked at what distinguishes us. We've looked at what defines us. And now today I want to talk about what compels us. And you've already heard that read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll be revisiting that in just a couple of minutes. I said earlier when we started the service, maybe you weren't here, maybe you missed it, but this is the thought that we are building around today. I'm calling it our centering thought. Sometimes we call it the big idea of the day. We share what we believe in. Now, I want you to think about that. Just take a couple of minutes and think about things that you're really passionate about. We all have them. We all have some things that we care deeply about. 
right? I want you to think about whether it's a diet and an exercise plan that has worked for you in the past. Whether it's a homeopathic remedy when somebody says, how do you treat this? You immediately pull out and say, that's worked for me. Maybe it's a Bible reading plan that you know has worked or a devotional plan or maybe you care deeply about where you live. And if somebody says, you know, we're looking to relocate, we're looking to move, and you're going to be like, well, move here, move on this street. This is the best place to live in the world. You care deeply. There are some things in your life that you absolutely want to share with others. Everybody got one of those things in their mind? Raise your hand if you got one of those things in your mind. I know we all have them. We share what we believe in. When you care, when it's worked for you, when it's made a difference in your life, you want to tell others. It is not something that you want to keep to yourself. Because you know it's made a difference. You know it can impact you and you want to help other people. We share what we believe. It's just... It just happens. It flows very naturally. We share what we believe in. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute. I want you to take those thoughts. And now I want to talk to you about a guy by the name of Saul. In the Bible, we know him probably more commonly as Paul, but he started out as Saul. Saul in the Bible was this person who was the most religious of all the religious people out there. He knew everything there was to know about being religious. He had studied, he had been taught and trained, and he knew how to be a good religious Jew. He knew everything. He was the best of the best. And yet he went around as Saul, grabbing up these new converts to a thing called Christianity, converts to a disciple named Jesus, he began taking them out of their homes and putting them in jail. He began persecuting them. In fact, under his watch, some even died. Saul, the most religious of all the religious, the most understanding, was a tyrant, a murderer. That was Saul. Until one day he's on his way to continue the persecution. He's on his way to continue grabbing up Christians. And he gets knocked off his donkey. Gets knocked to the ground. And he has this vision. He sees Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? See, Saul encountered Jesus. And his life would never, ever be the same again. His life was radically and utterly transformed, so much so that he spent the next several years undoing all of the things that he thought he knew. He spent the next several years learning and 
praying and being taught about who Jesus actually really was. And that he was real and that he came to this earth, that he was God in the flesh. And not only was he God in the flesh, he went through a trial and a persecution and was actually hung on the cross, actually died. And as if the story was over, he rose again. You see, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ and his life was forever changed. And it says that he went out from there and he began to tell everybody he could tell. And initially, if you read the story a little bit more in the book of Acts, it says a lot of people were scared of him. I'd be scared of a guy who was pulling people out of houses and putting them in prison and sending them. I'd be scared of him too. There were a lot of people that were scared of him, but he took years to overcome that and to share his story. But it plagued him. It it stayed with him for years and years and years. In fact, he was always... Some scholars believe now that his reference in writing about his thorn in the flesh, that his reference to being constantly reminded of something was the constant reminder of the guilt that he had in some way, shape, or form over the way he used to be. It was kind of like this constant thorn, this constant reminder. And he constantly have to, had to surrender that. And Jesus was able to say, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. We don't know specifically, but it makes a very compelling case. Amen? Jesus transformed Saul. He eventually became known as Paul, the person that we know who wrote 13-ish books of the New Testament. The person that has taught us basically how to be Christian disciples. Because he had a radical encounter. And now he's writing to the Corinthians. He's telling them his story. He is telling them about why he does what he does. What is it that makes me do all the things that I do? He says it in verse 14. He says, for Christ's Love compels us. Christ's love, this radical transforming love that touched me, that changed me from who I was and made me into something else. And now I am utterly different and changed. And I can't help but tell other people. And I am trying to persuade them. And I am trying to convince them. And and I'm trying to tell you that this Jesus, He's real. He's done something for me. He is passionate. He is sharing what he believes in. For Christ's love compels us, he says. What's driving me? What's motivating me? Think about those things that you were thinking about a few minutes ago. The things that you believe in passionately and how willing you are to share them. And now think about Saul becoming Paul and how passionate he is. Like, he just can't help himself. He just wants to share what's on his heart because Christ has changed him from the inside out. He was convinced. He was convinced. He had had this encounter 
with Jesus Christ. He had had a face-to-face experience. He had become another apostle, another eyewitness to who Jesus was. We must be convinced of who Jesus is. Why was Paul convinced? He says this going on in verse 14. Because I'm convinced that one died for all. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I'm convinced. Christ's love has done something for me and now I am convinced. And I do all that I do. And if you go on later into 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you'll read about all the list of things that he had to endure in all of these missionary journeys. The book of Acts records about three different distinct missionary journeys. He kept going out, going out to new places and visiting old places and reminding people because he was so passionate. He had to share what was on his heart. He had to share what Christ had done for him because he believed that Christ would do it for you and you and you and all of us. He had that passion. and He kept going out because he was convinced that one died for all. And therefore we all died with him. Becoming convinced that Jesus Christ expressed his love for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection is what we must become convinced of. If we're not convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, then we probably aren't going to be compelled to share that good news with others. But if we are convinced that he has radically transformed who we are and how we live and how we talk and how we do things in this life, if we are so convinced of that, then we can't contain it. The power of his Holy Spirit working in and through us becomes the compelling force that drives us into conversations and into relationships. It is why we gather as a community and why we invite others into this community. It is why we do life together. Because of Jesus Christ and the difference that He has made in our lives. We've talked about this. We don't do life together because we like each other. I do like you. In fact, I love you. As a pastor, I love each and every one of you. But I love you because I see Christ doing something in you. And I love that He's doing something in me. And I love that we're on that journey together. And what unites us is what He's doing in each of us what He's doing to us, what He's doing and has done for us. That's what brings us together. That's what unites us. But we must be convinced. There's some ways that we can get off track. We have to be careful. There's some ways that we think sometimes that we can be convinced, but we have to be careful of our emotions. Sometimes our emotions fuel what we think are realistic experiences. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say this, one can be overpowered by something or especially someone, but they aren't necessarily won over. 
In other words, you can hear a powerful speaker. You can have some interactions with somebody whom you trust and they can share some things. And in that moment, you can be really compelled. And But the power of their influence and their persona and their charisma kind of moves you to a place where, oh, I feel like I should respond. But in reality, you're responding to the moment. You're not responding to the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And so what's happening is this emotional thing is rising up within you and you're, you're having a moment, you're having an experience, but you know whether it's authentic when commitment is required of you. When commitment is required of you, do you follow through or do you shrink back? Was it emotional? Was it in the moment? Was it something that I cared really deeply about and my life has now become different because of it? Or was it just an emotional experience? And there's a lot of people who are having emotional experiences in the church today. It's shallow. It's not authentic. It's not going deep. It's not rooted in anything other than how I felt in that moment. And so when commitment is required, the commitment to go out and share this good news, the commitment to bring people to church, the commitment to disciple somebody, to walk along with them in a difficult journey, when that commitment is required of us, we just kind of step back. Oh, I'm not sure I signed up for that. Oh, I'm not sure I'm ready for that kind of relationship. I'm not sure I'm ready for that kind of investment because, well, it's not quite what I thought I was getting into. Either our experiences in Christ are rooted in the Holy Spirit, which means that they are enduring and they will stand up under the tests of the commitments required of us, or they are merely of human origin, in which case they will be wavering and they won't last. We must be careful not to be fooled by our emotions. So the question for us this morning is, are we convinced? Are you convinced that Jesus Christ and his love for you is the one, is the peace that's sustaining you in the face of opposition and struggle and doubt? You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know everything. That's why it says faith is required because there are some things that are hard to understand and there are some things in truth that we don't And won't ever really know. We can know an awful lot more than we do though. So the question is, are we convinced in the face of pushback and struggle and opposition and doubt? Or was it more of an emotional experience where I'm just not quite sure. And I'm not ready for that. Not ready to live into that. This guy Paul would say that he was so convinced that it changed everything about him. He was no longer living for himself. He was no longer living according to the world. He was living for Jesus Christ. He was living solely for Jesus Christ. It so transformed him, it drove him into these missionary endeavors. It drove him to go share this good news everywhere he went because he was convinced. Are you convinced? Today, when you are convinced, your perspective will change. It has to. 
It just has to. Jesus Christ will reorient and change the way we think and it will change our habits. It will change the way we relate to one another. It just has to. Our perspective will change. Paul would go on to say in verse 16, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view of this world, looking around, relating to one another, seeing each other and the way we talk to one another and how we live. And sometimes we get judgmental and looking and, oh, they're doing that and they're doing that. Oh, they're doing that. And we begin to see each other from a worldly point of view rather than seeing the work that Christ is doing in each other. Rather than seeing the life-transforming power of God in each other, we begin to look at each other from a worldly point of view. But when Christ comes... When Jesus transforms us, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we relate to one another. We don't regard people from a worldly point of view. What might that look like when I am convinced? How might I see others? I began to think about this a little bit this week. What might that look like as I'm thinking about, man, if I'm encountering people and what, the ways they're living and the ways they're doing and I'm walking around the world and, and there's so many things that can kind of set me off or I'm reading something on social media and it's setting me off or whatever. How do I see other people when I'm convinced of who Christ is? Number one, everyone becomes someone whom Christ has died for. Everyone is someone whom Christ has died for. From the worst of sinners to the best of saints, everyone is someone that Christ shed his blood for. And if I'm not seeing them through that lens, maybe I'm not convinced of what he's done for me. Number two, everyone becomes someone who can experience what I've experienced. Do you believe that? There are some people, I admit, there are some people in my life where I have encountered them and I'm like, oh my goodness, they, they're not going to get this. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to change their life. They're not going to transform anything about themselves because they're so steeped in what they think. They're so steeped in what they know. And in some cases, sin does have a real hold on them. And I'm discouraged. Discouraged in my life. I'm discouraged in my relationship with them and and if I see them from a worldly point of view, I get discouraged in what God can do in their lives. But when I'm convinced of what Christ has done for me, what he can do, everyone becomes someone who can experience what I have experienced. And I live with that hope. I live with that promise. I live with that view on seeing and treating others. Third thing is, everyone becomes someone. I am compelled to share and show the same love that I have experienced. Everyone. Everyone is someone that I want for them to know what Christ has done for me. I'm a witness to what I believe. I'm a witness to what God has done in my life. All I have to do is share it. 
I just have to share, just like those things that you were thinking about earlier on, those things that you really believe in, something that has happened deep down inside of you, and you know if you told somebody else, it would help them. It's the same with your relationship with Christ. Deep down, if you know that He has helped you, then you know that somebody else can have the same kind of experience. Can I get an amen for that? Everyone is someone whom Christ died for. Everyone is someone who can experience what I've experienced. And everyone is someone that I want to share that with. When I'm convinced. We could go on and talk about a story. Jesus put a fine tip on this. So now moving from our own experiences through Paul's lens to now, what does Jesus say about who should I be sharing all of this with? Jesus was tested in Luke chapter 10. And there's this teacher of the law that says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, what does the law say? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great, go do that. And you'll be saved. That's it. Go do that. That's fantastic, right? Jesus boiled it down to two commandments from all of the Jewish laws, the 613 and the other laws in the Old Testament, all the different. He boiled it down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then this smarty pants teacher of the law looks at Jesus and he says, all right, Jesus. But who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And so Jesus, in his kind way, tells a story. It's a story that many of you know. You know it as the story of the good Samaritan. There's this guy walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and he gets injured. He gets beat up. He gets thrown along the side of the road and along comes a priest. And then a Levite and both of them were supposed to be intercessors for the people, went to the other side of the road and said, no, he's unclean. I can't touch that. And then along comes this Samaritan whom the Jews hated. They were outcasts. They were not part of the community of the Jewish people. And this Samaritan walks by and he sees somebody in the ditch and he says, What's, I, I got to help this person. And he does. What does the scripture say in that story? It says that the Samaritan was moved with compassion. The Greek word there could be, it's called splachna. It's a great word. Say it with me, splachna. That's a fun word, isn't it? Like we don't talk Greek, but that's just a fun word to say. I just got to say it. And what it means is it, it com- it's something that rises up from deep within us. It's something that's so intrinsic to who we are. It just rises up and we can't help ourselves. We have compassion. We have pity. And it's just, it's so much a part of our nature that it just rises up. And Jesus says, that Samaritan whom you despise was the only one that actually showed compassion. Where Jesus would say, mercy. He asked the teacher of the law, which one do you think did the right thing? What do you think the guy's going to say? My brothers, my brothers, they walked by. They, they, of course he's not going to say that, right? The one who showed, say it with me. Splachna. 
The one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? Those who are in need of mercy. Who am I compelled to share the good news of Jesus Christ with? Those who are in need of mercy. To whom are you extending mercy? Mercy flows from a heart of compassion. It flows from a heart that is convinced that it has been transformed. And it regards no one any longer from a purely human point of view. To whom are you extending mercy? Paul would go on to finish this particular passage, and I'm going to wrap up here today. He would say that we now are, he's talking about himself and his companions, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I say to you today, you and I are ambassadors for Christ when we are convinced of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we are convinced. We are ambassadors because we belong to His kingdom. We don't belong to America first. We don't belong to any country first. We belong to the kingdom of God first. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ because we belong to His kingdom. And... It is His transforming work in our hearts that has shaped us to become who we are. It is His transforming work that unites us and distinguishes us, defines us, unites us. It is Him and Him alone as the reason for why we do life together. He alone compels us to share the good news with our neighbors. Anyone in need of mercy, anyone in need of love, everyone is someone whom God extends and can extend mercy to. Why am I sharing all of this today? Because it's been on my heart for a while now that this year, would be the year in which we take this love that we have been shaping and growing for several years now. If you've been walking the journey with me for several years, you know we have been on a journey of of discovering God's faithful presence among us. You know we have been on a journey of forming ourselves and becoming deeper and disciples of Jesus Christ and going deeper into our relationships and learning about reconciliation. If you've been walking this journey for any period of time, you've seen some preparation happening. And this year, it's time to take that out. It's time to share that good news. It's time to turn that outward and tell other people about this good news. We can't contain it. We can't keep it to ourselves anymore. If you're convinced of what Jesus Christ has done for you, then the world needs to know about it. And we need to let the world know about it. May this year be a year of sharing the love of Jesus Christ with other people, with our neighbors. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's what this is all about. Leading towards what compels us. It's the love of Christ that convinces us that He is who He says He is. And therefore, I want other people to know because it's made a difference in my life. I want you to know and we together want the world to know of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? If you believe in Jesus Christ, share Him with others. Amen?
Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that a message like this hits different parts of who we are. A message like this finds each of us at a different place on the journey. In fact, some of us are more convinced because of a message like this. And others of us are wondering, was I ever truly convinced? And there are still others who are questioning what this is all about. I thank you that there are so many different perspectives among us. You know them, Lord. You see them. You love each and every one of us right where we're at. And the beautiful thing is that you don't tell us that we have to have it all figured out. You simply ask us to trust you. You want everyone here to know that they are loved deeply, dearly. Loved so much that you actually would die for them. Before they had it all figured out. Before they had given their lives to you. Before they had stopped living according to the world. Before they had done anything to move in your direction. You died for them. Because you love them. And so Lord Jesus, today if there is anybody here who has not experienced that personal, life-transforming love, I pray that they would open their hearts to receive that today. I pray that their lives will be transformed. I pray that their hearts will become open and available. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that they will take a step of faith, Lord Jesus, that opens them to your transforming work in their lives. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, that you will not allow them to let this moment pass before they acknowledge that you are at work in their life and that you love them. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would touch them. Pray that you would move upon them. I pray, Lord Jesus, that their hearts become open to hear and to receive Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, for those of us who are wondering if our conversion, if our transformation was real or something that was just emotional, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would reach into the depths of our hearts right now and that you would make it real and personal and long-lasting Lord Jesus, let us take a hold of it. Let us make it our own, not somebody else's, not what somebody else said I should do, but Lord, let it become our own. Your life-transforming work, your belief in us, your love for us, your forgiveness for us. Lord, we reach out and we ask humbly for your forgiveness and for your grace and for your mercy. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would make your life-transforming work real, and whole in each and every one of us. 
And Lord, for those who today are simply affirmed by hearing this message. This is what we already believe. This is what we know. This is a truth that has been spoken today and it affirms or confirms things that we already have in our hearts, then Lord, let us not hold on to it any longer, but let us share it. Let us share this good news boldly and confidently because we know others need to know it and others' lives can be transformed because of it. Give us a boldness and a courage that can really only come by a fresh outpouring of Your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Would You send forth Your companion, the Holy Spirit, To renew us and fill us and set our hearts on fire again with love and compassion for this world. This world that you created, this world that you died for, this world that you are in the process of remaking and restoring and one day will completely restore. Lord Jesus, let us see and capture your vision for it. Fill our hearts with boldness and courage. Lord, fill our hearts with compassion so that we may extend mercy to those who are in need. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for this place and for this time. I thank you for this great cloud of witnesses. And no matter where we are in the journey, we can find ourselves in it. And we can know that doing life together doesn't mean that I have to have it all figured out. But doing life together is about growing in understanding and growing together and learning more and more together about who you are. So that we can then share that with others. I thank you for life. The life that you have breathed into this place. The good news that we will get to share in just a few minutes, Lord. The good news about what you've been doing here in this body over the last year. Lord Jesus, so many good things to share and I look forward to sharing them. But Lord Jesus, it's because of you. It's because of who you are. It's because of all the ways you have engaged us and loved us and picked us up when we have fallen and patched us back together and brought new life and new perspective. And it's because of you. Praise you. I praise you and I thank you. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to linger for a few more minutes, and the worship team is going to play a closing song. You can sing along or just sit there and take some notes, whatever you feel led to do this morning. And then I'll come back up and give some. Announcements for how we'll proceed to lunch in just a few minutes. Take some time to linger in the moment.